Almighty God, we praise you that you want us to know you, our rock on whom we stand today. And we thank you that you invite us to experience you, to have that kind of knowledge. And now we invite you, Holy Spirit, to be the teacher in this place. In the strong name of Jesus, we pray it. Amen. Would you go ahead and have a seat? Good morning, everybody. My name is Kim. I'm just so happy that you're here today and that we get to dive in together as we continue in our series about knowing God. A a couple years ago, there was a seven-year-old boy over in Salinas who got a puppy in the most unusual of ways. When this puppy was literally dropped out of the sky from the talons of a hawk at the boy's feet. Let's watch this newscast. Aaron, the puppy is now named TJ Heavenly after the boy who found him in the place where he says the puppy came from. The seven-year-old was playing in his backyard when he looks down and he says he sees a puppy at his feet. (laughs) He just loves you, Taylor. Yeah, he loves his daddy now, huh? He's a welcome gift from above who fell into loving arms. The eight-week-old puppy was dropped an estimated 30 feet from the unsteady grip of a hawk's talons. If you look at him right now, he is so wiggly. And his nose, he's such a little bulldozer, I could actually see him wiggling right out of the talons of it. You can actually see a mark here, here, and here. That's where the claw was holding him. He's like one of our families. The puppy was first spotted by seven-year-old Taylor Calloway. Taylor was walking along in his backyard when he looked down and saw a puppy and started yelling out. I said puppy, puppy, and then mommy just said, yeah, right. I'm like, what do you mean puppy? He's like, puppy. The hawk that almost got him lives at the top of a tree on the family's property. Elaine Bouchard says his escape wasn't an accident, and it's now her responsibility to raise him. My thought is that when a god drops a puppy from the sky, you keep it. All the dog lovers are going, oh. Well, she said that God dropped that puppy. Hmm, could be. But you know, the only thing that's ever dropped out of the sky for me, I will never forget. I was in high school. My choir had taken a trip from Florida where I lived over to New Orleans, and we were giving a concert in this great big outdoor square when... Uh, you know, we, were have, we had on these shiny green and gold, you know, bell-bottomed outfits. I will never forget that. And all of a sudden, I had a smelly puddle of poop right here on my shoulder when a great big ginormous pigeon picked me out of a whole group. Now, do I credit God with that gift? Does everything that falls into our lives come from God? I mean, when hard things come, we're we're tempted to wonder, is he even paying attention? You know, life can feel random. That boy gets a puppy. I get poop. (laughs) Lately, more and more, as we look at the news and we see so much heartache falling into the lives of people, we can get tempted to get either cynical or lose hope. We can start being like some people who have the attitude, they may say, the world's going to hell in a handbasket. And I'm just so grateful that as we look around and good things continue to happen and bad things continue to happen in the lives of people we know and love, I'm grateful for today, 
when we get to dive in and talk about this aspect of knowing God. The Bible teaches that even though it's really hard to fathom, that God really is in control. So if you'll get these message notes out, they look like this. They're in your program, along with a pen. It's going to help you follow along. And you know, we're going to be jumping around in the Bible today. So all the verses we'll be using are there on your notes. Now there is a word for this aspect of God. Theologians say that God is in control. That means he is sovereign. That's your first fill-in. See, that's the word they use to say that God has a plan and everything is moving toward God's ultimate answer. I've been thinking about this aspect of our God. And I'm here to tell you today that at least in my experience, knowing this about God dispels anxiety. See, it changes my perspective. Look at how the Bible describes him. In Psalms, it says the Lord rules over everything. Everything. The Bible says, the Lord Almighty has sworn, surely as I have planned, so it will be. And as I have purposed, so it will happen. You know, if we we think really carefully about God being sovereign, it has to mean that God is all-knowing. All-knowing. We talked about that word a few weeks ago with John's help, that he's omniscient. If there was even one bit of knowledge God was missing or unknown to God, his rule would break down. God being sovereign must mean that God is all-powerful. Like Ron talked about last week, if God was lacking one molecule of power, that would end his reign because that stray atom of power would belong to someone else. God being sovereign must mean that he's absolutely free. Now think about this. He's free to do whatever he wills to do anywhere at any time, to carry out his eternal purpose in every detail without interference. God is the only one in control of history. He's in control of government. Isn't that good news? The Bible says everything is moving toward a focus, that there is a climax, that history is moving toward, and God is free to bring it about. Now, it's not just that God can control every event in the universe. It is that God does control every event in the universe. Does that make your mind explode like it does mine? You know why? It's because it brings up two very good questions. First, if God is really sovereign, why are there starving people? You ever ask that question? I know I have. It's a whole question of why is there evil and pain and suffering and death? You know, when, uh, Steve Jobs passed away. There was a biography written about him by Walter Isaacson. And Walter Isaacson said that as a young man that Steve asked this very question when he came across this cover of Life magazine, July 1968, the starving children of the Biafra War. And he took that picture to his pastor where his family was attending church in Sunnyvale. And he said, does God know about this? And the pastor looked at it and he said, well, you know, it's, it's uh, complicated, but yes. And Steve said, then I don't want to know a God like that. And he turned and he walked out, never to return. Now, as he got older, later in his life, Steve's views became a little more sophisticated than that. But it's a very real question that we struggle with. How do we answer that question? Well, let me ask it this way. 
What if God does have a plan and his plan involves you and me? The Bible says that the world is broken right now. It's broken with evil and evil is on the loose in a very real and rampant way. It's kind of like a fugitive. It's on the loose for a limited time. And God is in charge of how long that will go on. But God wants to use you and me as part of the answer. About world hunger, did you know the United Nations says that there's more than enough food on this earth to feed every mouth? And God wants to use you and me to help the hurting people. About the needs in our own community. This is why... God is using you, generous people who make sacrifices to reach out. This is why our church gets involved in the initiatives that are already taking place in our community. This is why many of you even integrate your faith into your own business. Because it is God's purpose to use you and me. His plan is that you and I are his hands and his feet and his voice in this broken world. Now, there's one more very good question. If God is sovereign, then what about free will? I mean, am I just a puppet in God's hands? Am I obligated to do what God directs? Or if I do have a choice, then is God really sovereign? Well, you know what really helped me was an illustration about this provided by A.W. Tozer. Ron has shared with you about this amazing book that Tozer wrote called The Knowledge of the Holy. I would really recommend this book. I I love it. Middle of the night reading, it's fascinating. Now, he shares about a cruise ship as being a, a way to picture God giving you and me free will. Imagine you're on that cruise ship. You get to choose whether you're on the first deck or the second deck or the third deck, whether you're gonna be playing cards or eating or laying in the sun or shopping. You get to choose. But meanwhile... There's a captain of that ship, and that ship is sailing across the ocean toward a designated port, and it's that captain's job to make sure that you get there. And that is a meager picture of God giving you free will. You do have free will, but it's limited. Now, God is sovereign. I want to take this aspect of knowing God knowing that he's sovereign over everything from the rotation of the planets to the details of my everyday life. And I want to take a look at three practical aspects in our own lives. Okay, you ready? Take your pen. The first, God is sovereign over the plans I make. Over the plans I make. I make plans, but God is the one in charge. The Bible says many are the plans in a person's heart. But it's the Lord's purpose that prevails. Have you thought about that? That God's plans have a bigger purpose than your plans. Now, use hindsight. How many right here today are right now working in a vocation or a job other than the one you originally planned? Raise your hand. All right. How about this? How many of you are married to someone different than you originally planned? Raise your hand. Okay, this is your chance. If you're sitting next to him, how many of you are glad you're married to somebody different? (laughs) Good job. Yeah. We have a friend named Renee Schlepfer who was a pastor years ago of a church up in the Tahoe area. 
And on one heavy snow day in winter, his car broke down when he was on his way to a speaking engagement. And this was before cell phones. So he was forced to take off walking to try to find a phone. As he was walking, he looked and he saw a neighborhood. He said, oh, one of our church members lives in there. So he hiked in there and he went knocking on that door and nobody was home. So he started looking around the house thinking, you know, they won't mind. I'll just slip in here and use their phone. And he pulled on windows and pushed on doors. Finally, he gave up and kept walking. And it was Dark was falling when he stepped up onto the, uh, the porch of a restaurant. At that very moment, the sign in the window was being turned to closed. So he knocked on the door, and the lady came to the door. She said, sorry, we're closed. And he explained his predicament. And as he talked, her eyes lit up, and she said, it's you. She said, I was at your church a few weeks ago. And she said, I heard what you said about God. And, you know, honestly... I have some questions for you, and I can't believe that you're here right at closing time. Would you come in and just let me ask you some questions? And he was able to sit down with her at a booth and explain to her the gospel. And he said, talk about God being in control of our plans. And you know what else he said? He said later on he found out that the house that he'd been trying to break into wasn't even the house of his church member. <laughs> He said, I just wonder, can you imagine pastor arrested for breaking an entry? You know, sometimes God shuts down your plans, doesn't he, in favor of his purpose. John Newton, the great hymn writer, said he never had much trouble when God would alter his life. He only had a lot of trouble when God would alter his day. Can you relate to that? See, we have an unhealthy attitude sometimes toward our plans, and here it is. The unhealthy attitude can be presumption. Presumption. It says in the Bible, there it is, presumption. The Bible says in James, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year here and trade and make a profit, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. See, right there it is, the healthy attitude. The healthy attitude is to stay flexible, to hold it all loosely before God. Stay flexible. The Bible says the heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. In the early 1900s, you know, people kind of had a handle on this. They understood it. You know how I know? I heard that they found a way to keep this awareness in front of their minds. When they would sign their correspondence, they would put these letters next to their name, D-V. And that would stand for Deo Valente, Latin for God willing. Valente, where we get the word volition. They were just aware. They're holding it all loosely. See, if we keep God's control in mind, we can stay flexible. So God is sovereign over the plans I make, right? Here, it's going to get a little harder. God is sovereign over the problems that I face, the inconvenience, the frustrations, the heartbreak. It says in the Bible, even though you are temporarily harassed by all kinds of trouble, trials and temptations, watch this. This is no accident. Would you take your pen and underline those words? 
This is no accident. It happens to prove your faith, which is infinitely more valuable than gold. You know, that's not saying that everything that happens is God's will. It isn't. Jesus taught us to pray, thy will be done, because not everything we see happening around us is God's will. Here's a picture of me exactly six months ago. Ouch. Ron and I went to Southern California in January to attend a conference where we got to disconnect and get quiet and really seek God for a whole week. And we stayed in the home of some very dear friends. Before daylight on the fourth morning, I got up before the chickens to take a power walk in the dark. I was excited. I was praying out loud. I was looking at the stars. I was saying, God, I want to know you more. And you know what? Suddenly, I found myself tripping and falling. In a nanosecond, I found the concrete with my upper lip. And I laid on my belly thinking, how bad am I hurt? I managed to get up and make my way back to the house, bleeding and in pain. It was a huge interruption, not just for me, but for the whole household, because now I'm ringing the doorbell, telling my friend to bring a towel so I wouldn't bleed on a rug. Now, for today's discussion... If God is sovereign, was it God's doing that I fell? If I believed that, I could fall into an unhealthy attitude. Here it is. I could lose perspective. I could blame God. I could get mad and stuck. Hey, I was talking to you, God. Why didn't you protect me? When I sent that picture of myself to my brother, you know what he said in his text? He says, gravity stinks. That's a brother for you, right? Big heart, gravity stinks. Well, you know, I could have said to God, God, why didn't you overrule gravity for me? You could have done that. Are you even paying attention? I felt lots of feelings about that mishap. It was painful. It's been embarrassing, frankly. It's been expensive for the last six months as bills kept rolling in for my new front teeth. And it seemed like a huge interruption to the conference I was there to attend. But after six months of processing, more often than not, I am circling this healthier perspective. Here it is. There is a bigger picture. No matter what I feel, there is a bigger picture. Can I ask you, when you're finished writing that, that you look up and read this verse out loud with me, I know you've seen this verse before. You ready? Out loud. Ready? Go. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. You know what? That doesn't say that all things are good. That means that God allows problems into your life. Don't blame him for the evil in the world. He allows suffering and evil for a limited time. He is ultimately in charge of the duration and the effect that evil can have. But meanwhile, he brings it into focus to use it for good for you or for someone else. And here's how he brought it into focus for me, how he's working it for good. See, I am a middle-aged woman dealing with all the pressure that comes from living in a very body-centric culture. We're just aging is a problem. Do you know what I'm saying? And this pressure to look just right is not just for the middle-aged. We have a young friend who's only 22 who has gone to New York City to be a model 
And I saw on Instagram how his agency has told him the parts of his appearance that need to be corrected in order to meet the standard that they have. See, whatever arena you want to belong in, there's going to come pressure. Here's the bigger picture that I got the chance to own when my injury happened. We were able to get my teeth fixed, and the scar on my lip has improved a great deal. Now, I know what's going to happen, okay? Somebody's going to catch me out in the lobby, and you're going to put your glasses on, and you're going to look at my lip, and you're going to say, I don't see a thing. I just want you to know I'm really grateful for your encouragement, but what I don't want you to miss is what happened for me internally through this process. See, Not only did this sudden unsightly wound give me a chance to feel the love of my family and you, my friends, but bigger and better than that, it's helped me to stand stronger in the face of my enemy. It's helped me to recognize and affirm again where my value comes from. So, I might as well go on record right now, and Satan, if you're listening, you might as well take notes. See, what makes a man or a woman or a boy or a girl valuable or beautiful is not a perfect appearance. His or her worth is not tainted by a scar. It's not tarnished by a wrinkle. It's not made weaker by a blemish or their height or their weight. What makes a person precious is that Christ has gone to the cross and declared that one valuable, so valuable that he paid the very highest price. And his estimation, his evaluation will stand for all eternity. That's right. So in your face, enemy. You see, God did answer that before daylight prayer that I get to know him more. Yeah, a conference got sidelined, but I've had six months to live with Romans 8.28 and to think about knowing God better, claiming what he says about me. Are you dealing with a problem? It may be way bigger than a contusion to your face. I have a friend whose husband died suddenly less than a year ago. Then she fell and broke her ankle so badly that it's being held together by a plate and 19 screws. And then she found out that there was mold in her kitchen so badly that the whole place had to be gutted. Sometimes problems rain down on you so much that it feels like they're going to try to grind you into the dust. But we read Romans 8.28. Who wrote those words? Do you remember? Say it out loud. Paul. That's right. Paul. And what did Paul go through? Do you remember? He faced more problems than you can imagine. He was shipwrecked. He was imprisoned. He was beaten. He was even snake bitten. God could have kept Paul out of prison, but God allowed him. As a result, the Christian, the the jailer became a Christian. And Paul says, this is how God works. It's his MO to bring good out of your problem. Let me ask you though, What about the times when you cannot see good? You can't possibly imagine how God could bring good out of the heartache that you're seeing. Well, it's in those moments that I think about the life of Job. Job lost everything overnight. 
his fortune, his kids, all his family, except his wife. And actually, it would have been a blessing for her to go. (laughs) It's in the Bible. Read it. She just stays. (laughs) He gets a horrible disease. He can't see good. It's so dark. He's so down. He cannot see the bigger picture. But look at what Job says to his friends. He said, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. How does Job see the bigger picture? Well, he sees there's a bigger God. He's simply saying, he's God and I'm not. What can I say? That's a perspective too. When you can't see the bigger picture, you have to remember there's a bigger God. Now, here's the thing, my friends. God's purpose is not primarily to improve my behavior or my happiness. It's to transform my character. To transform my character. We just read Romans 8, 28, that God works everything together for good. But you know what? If we stop there and we don't read Paul's next thought, then we have lost the point entirely. So I'm going to ask you to read this out loud. This is Romans 8, 29. Are you ready? Go. To be conformed to the image of his son. When I read that, it was a great big aha for me. See, he wants your character to be transformed. That's the purpose of suffering. He wants your character to look like Jesus. More love, more joy, more peace, more patience, more kindness. That's always his plan. He wants to go deeper in relationship with you. And that's why I love the song we sang earlier when we sang, till all we want and all we need is found in you. See, it's a deeper relationship. So that the image of Christ will shine through you because someone around you needs to see him. And that is the best, most profound good we could ever look for, that Christ is seen. So God is sovereign over the plans I make. He's sovereign over the problems I face. And here's a really challenging one. He's in control over the people I know. He's in control over people. King Nebuchadnezzar finally learned this lesson. He said this, He does as he pleases, talking about God, with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back his hand. No one. See, that's a radical statement. When you think about some of the people you know, right? This may be the hardest part to stomach. That God could possibly work in the life of that person you might be thinking of right now. I mean, you might have some part of yourself who's thinking, what a jerk. Or, I will never get over what he or she did to me. You know, there's a powerful example in the Bible of God being in control over people in your life. And it's the account of Joseph. Joseph was his dad's favorite son, and his brothers got jealous, so they sold him into slavery. So Joseph found himself a slave in Egypt, and then he worked for a man named Potiphar. Go ahead, E, into the next slide. Potiphar's wife accused Joseph of rape, and now Joseph lands in prison for a really long time. 
Go ahead, Ian. Prison for years. I want you to picture that for years. I mean, years and years. And if I were Joseph, I would be thinking to myself, why me? What did I do? But later on, God showed that he'd been working his plan all along through these horrible circumstances because later on, through connections made in prison, Joseph rises to prominence in Egypt. He becomes ruler in that nation, and then there comes a huge famine in all of Egypt, and then both Egypt and Israel are saved because of Joseph's leadership, and eventually he comes face-to-face with those brothers that hurt him. I want you to picture this scene. Joseph is sitting up high on a throne now, and these scoundrels that had sold him into slavery are all around him. Now, Joseph could have had an unhealthy attitude. Are you ready for this? He could have played God. That that would be common to us human beings, wouldn't it? To play God, that's the most natural thing. We're experts at this. To play God, imagine how natural it would have been for Joseph to look around and say, now you're going to pay, to judge them, to hold a grudge. Or people who drive you crazy, you know, it, it might be natural for us to try to fix them when we play God or control them. I heard about that being called practicing sovereignty without a license. <laughs> Is that good? But, you know, Joseph didn't do that. He didn't take that approach at all. He said, instead, he decided to have a healthy attitude. He gave it to God. That's the healthy attitude, to give it to God. How do we know that he did that? Well, look at what he said to his brothers in Genesis 50. He said, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring about that many people should be kept alive. See, Joseph chose to look up. Joseph chose to turn his eyes heavenward. Now, let me tell you, you may be thinking of a person in your life who is not just unlikable, who is not just a pain to be around. You may be thinking of somebody in your world who is actually out to get you, trying to to do you in, to take you under. So how do you take Joseph's healthy attitude and put it into practice? Well, it's when you finally reach the the place of saying, I'm going to pray for him. I'm going to pray for her. I'm going to believe that God can work even in that life. I heard a powerful modern day story about giving it to God. Joel Sonnenberg was a toddler. He was trapped in a car seat in his family's minivan when a drunk driver named Reginald Dort drove a truck into that van. The van exploded into flames, and Joel was nearly burned to death. The driver, driver, Reginald Dort, fled the scene. He even fled the country. He was not apprehended for many years. But meanwhile, 80% of Joel's skin was melted. His fingers and toes were burned off. But Romans 8, 28, and 29 constantly have been proven true in Joel's life. Let's watch this newscast about his life. By the time Joel was eight, the Sonnenbergs were living outside Detroit, and Joel was attending public school. He had no memory of the New Hampshire crash, no memory and no knowledge of the truck driver, Reginald Dort. When his friends asked if there was pain from his continuing surgeries, Joel lied and told them no. 
they always ask me questions like, does it hurt? Or, and I say, no, it doesn't. But in fact, it is painful, isn't it? Yeah. By the time Joel was in high school in North Carolina, he was captain of the soccer team, president of the student council, and prince of the junior prom. And at Taylor University in Indiana, he was president of the sophomore class. The fact is that the truck that crashed into Joel's car nearly 20 years ago robbed him of many of life's simple pleasures. It was faith, Joel says, not faith that brought him so far. This is my prayer for you, Mr. Reginald Dort, that you may know that grace has no limits. We will not consume our lives with hatred because hatred only brings misery. What is justice in this case? Uh, it's to give it to God. I think that's justice. That's what we've always known our family is to giving it to God. Give it to God. That's the way to peace. Yeah. That's the way to peace. Just to give you an update, not only did, did uh, Joel live, but today he is a pastor. He's a father. He's a husband. God is using his story in powerful ways. You see, this is the way to peace. Knowing that God is sovereign, that he's loving, that he's good, and he's unlimited in grace towards even the people that touch our lives. So let me ask you this. So what? What is the implication for your life and mine that God is sovereign, that he's in control? Let me tell it to you. Because God is sovereign, because he's ultimately in control over my plans and my problems and even people, my prayers have an impact. Would you write that down? My prayers have an impact. Your prayers count. Did you know that? You can actually move the heart and the hand of your sovereign God. Or let me ask you, does prayer actually seem more to you like mumbo-jumbo? Or like your prayers are bouncing off the ceiling? Well, listen, if God were not sovereign, then prayer would be a waste of time, right? I mean, who would want to pray to somebody who couldn't even answer? Can you imagine bringing your prayers to God and him saying, oh, I'd like to help you, but I can't? You know, I'm sorry, it's not part of my job description, or I don't have the power. When I gave me my job description, I didn't put that in. Can you imagine? No, it's because God is sovereign, then we can pray, and it does make an impact. See, that's the basis of every miracle. He tells you to ask and seek and keep knocking, and God says, I want to show you great and mighty things that you do not know. I'm sovereign. I'm in control. I'm in charge. So let me blow your mind. See, your prayers make a difference. That's why it's such an adventure to know God. I love this adventure of knowing him. And this is the greatest arsenal you have when you're tempted to go into worry. Do you know that Oswald Chambers turned God's sovereignty into a foundational principle? He would say, absolutely refuse to worry. Your retirement is going down the drain? Well, keep working, but refuse to worry. 
You've been working on your marriage and you're not seeing any progress? Well, keep praying intensely, but refuse to worry. Is someone lying and I see you? Well, refuse to worry. Instead, pray. I've seen devastating circumstances. Some of the most horrible situations imaginable. Cause supernatural breakthroughs in relationships. Give people opportunities to share Christ with power. See, God is doing things that you don't know, that you don't understand. Things that are deeper and wider and better and more wonderful than you can imagine. Rick Warren said in a Facebook post, never let an impossible situation intimidate you. He said, let it motivate you to pray more. Let it motivate you to trust more. Do you know how to argue with yourself out of this book? This is a great practice the enemy hates. Do you know how to take these words of assurance and argue with your own heart until you can endure anything? It's a spiritual skill. I would encourage you to practice it. And I'm going to give you a verse that you can use to do that with. This is Ephesians 3.20. In fact, let's read it out loud together. Okay? I want to keep you involved here. You ready? Go. God is able to do far more than we would ever dare to ask or dream of, infinitely beyond our highest prayers, desires, thoughts, or hopes. You can imagine the most ostentatious, audacious, bold prayer that your brain can think up, and God will say, I can top that. One of the most powerful ways to encourage yourself and stay in this mode of thinking is through music. And so Lindsay and the band have come now, and they're going to share a song with us, a song that a year ago when my friend shared it with me, encouraged me to remember that God is sovereign and he's in control. And I want to encourage you right now, you might want to go ahead and put your notes and your pen down and get freed up so that you can make this into a moment with God. See, things may be really messy right now, I've said some bold things today about God being in charge, but things may look really messy to you right now. But God is going to have the last word. And we're going to hear a song about that that's going to lift your soul. And I want you to see the power behind this song before we hear it. It's because it comes right out of the Bible. It's a promise for you. So you ready? We're going to read these lyrics together from the screen. And then appreciate this song. You ready? Go. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. I face a giant. You know. Help me to look up. I take a deep breath and take the next step. Though I may be weak, I know who is with me. And
morning, I wanted you to look one more time at that verse that Ron read to us at the beginning, because I like to keep my eyes on the word of God while I pray. So I want to encourage you right now to just look at this verse, and let's turn it into our own private prayer with the Lord. And I'm just going to read it for you. As for me, as for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. And Lord, we're grateful that you invite us to know you as our refuge today. We appreciate those words as for me because everyone in this room gets to make a choice. You've given us free will how we're going to look at your sovereignty today. Whether it's about our plans, some of us need to turn that over to you, sovereign Lord. The plans that we have, there may be somebody in this room who has been planning to get right with God. Somebody who's been planning to give your life to God. You've been thinking, you know, one day I'm going to make sure that when I die, I get to go to heaven. Can I tell you, that's presumptuous. The Bible says you don't know what tomorrow's going to bring. Today is your day. So let God be sovereign over your plan. Would you give your life to him today? And maybe, Lord, it's about our problems. Every one of us in this room has a problem that we're dealing with. And now we come to you, God, as our refuge. Instead of saying, why, would you help me to ask, Lord, what would you have me to learn from this problem? And maybe, Lord, you give us the courage to pray, even like Job prayed. Lord, you gave, and Lord, you've taken away. Blessed be your name. 
you are a great big God. And Lord, maybe it is that that we need to trust you today concerning a person in our life, a person who has made it so rough. God, would you help us? Would you help us to look at that person today and pray with a mature faith and ask you to work in that man or that woman or that boy or that girl and do your work in them and show them your unlimited grace, God. And Lord, now we just celebrate together and honor you as sovereign. What comfort, what peace you bring to us, your children, that we get to know you being in control. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.